Specialty Story, session number 194. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week where I get to have amazing conversations with physicians to learn about their specialty, to hopefully give you some insight on what career lies ahead of you. Today, I have a great guest, Dr. Matthew Safarian, an osteopathic physician who specializes in physical medicine and rehabilitation, specializing in sports and spine. This specialty, also known as physiatry, not psychiatry, but physiatry, and is is often not known about by many students going through this process. We're going to talk all about sports and spine in the physical medicine and rehabilitation world. Again, with Dr. Matthew Safarian. You can find him on Twitter at Safarian12. That's S A F F A R I A N and 1 2, the number 12. We start the conversation by talking about how Dr. Safarian first became interested in physical medicine and rehabilitation. And honest truth, um, dating back to when I was in high school, I, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Um, and I didn't really know what PM&R was um, until my second year of med school. And so uh, I was introduced to it by a couple of my instructors. And so um, as I started looking more into it, that's when I started to figure out what it was and start to learn that PM&R was kind of in, involved in the procedural side of, of sports medicine. So it wasn't until my second year of med school that I really knew and found out what PM&R was. Yeah. And then as you were going through the PM&R world uh, for pain, how did, how did you get involved in that? So with my background of, of being, having interest in ortho, I always wanted to do something with my hands. And so um, once I did my ortho rotations, I realized that well, I, that surgery just wasn't for me, but I wanted to, still wanted to do something with my hands. And so uh, the one thing I liked was the procedural side of things with PM&R. And so when you did your rotations as a med student, you rotated through some of the pain clinics. And, um, I kind of, that's what kind of drew me into the pain side of things is, uh, the procedural aspect. And, and that, that really appealed to me. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. What, yeah. what are some common myths or misconceptions that are out there in the, the PM and R world? That's a good question. And when it comes to PM and R, you can do so many different things with it. Um, and I don't think a lot of people know that. And I think a lot of people, see PM&R in two scopes, either the inpatient rehab side, uh, where you're just rehabilitating stroke, spinal cord injuries, um, and the chronic pain side. And so I think that's one deterrent to a lot of people is that if they go into PM&R, they're going to have to be dealing with chronic pain on a daily or regular basis. But um, I don't think that's necessarily true. You can uh, become more of a pain specialist, but if you if you go about things appropriately, you can integrate the sports and spine world together so you have a more of a uh, younger athletic-based population. And so the procedural-based uh, practice can be focused around um, young, healthier, active patients than just a chronic pain uh, type that has that negative stigma. Mm-hmm. When it comes to being a, a physiatrist, what do you think leads to someone being a good PM&R doc? What, what kind of traits do, do you think they need to have? I think it's important in the PM&R world to be a good team player. And that's 
kind of cliche, right? When you're talking about sports medicine and, and the team player type uh, connotation, but I think it's really, really, truly important in PMNR. And so when you think about it, when it comes to a general uh, physiatrist is doing inpatient rehab, you're working with your physical therapist, your occupational therapist, your speech therapist, your rehab nursing staff. Um, and so there's really a multidisciplinary approach when it comes to uh, physiatrists on the inpatient rehab side or the general physiatrists. And then when it comes to the outpatient PMNR world, whether you go into pain, uh, interventional spine, uh, sports, again, it's important to be a team player because if you're doing the sports world, you're dealing with a lot of athletic trainers, dealing with coaching staff. Um, and then when it comes to pain stuff too, you really got to take a multidisciplinary approach because a lot of times get pain psych involved. Again, you're going to have your rehab specialist PTOT involved. So I think that's the biggest thing when it comes to PM&R is being a team player and being able to work in a multidisciplinary approach and take input from others and take that input and integrate it into your uh, treatment plan. Hmm. That's interesting. What yeah. I'll, I'll follow up. I usually ask this question later, but I'll follow up now because of that team player approach is, is what other specialties are you working closely with as a PM&R doc? Uh, we are most with my sports background, mostly with orthopedic surgery and mm -hmm. primary care sports medicine. Uh, those are the two that I work most closely with. Um, another possibility when you're uh, out in private practice, maybe neurosurgery. Uh, at Michigan State University, where I work, we don't have any neurosurgeons in-house, and the neurosurgeons are in a private practice outside of our university setting. But um, oftentimes on the inpatient rehab side, we'll work with them. Or if you're doing uh, um, uh, more of a pain-based practice, you'll get neurosurgery involved too, where they'll send you for your procedural type stuff prior to them taking on the surgery or for EMGs. Um, but mostly it's with, with the two surgical practices for orthopedic surgery, neurosurgery, and then primary care sports medicine. And then when you're in the inpatient setting, you often work closely with neurology. And so working at these peripheral nerves uh, issues that might pop up on an inpatient setting, um, other polyneuropathies that need to be worked up. So we often work closely on the inpatient side with uh, general neurology. For a lot of students listening to this, uh, they they may this may be the first time they're hearing about PM&R and physiatry because it's, mm -hmm. it's not talked about a lot, um, at mm -hmm. least in the pre-med world, right? It's the, the sexy specialists, specialties of like ortho and neuro that you just mentioned and all of the, the normal kind of primary care things, pediatrician, internal medicine that people know about. For, for the student just learning and understanding PM&R, let's talk about the types of patients that you're seeing day in and day out. So I, I do a lecture every year for our medical students that are between first and second year at Michigan State. Um, I'm, more, I'm more for the College of Osteopathic Medicine, but sometimes we get the College of Human Medicine students too. And I call PM&R the hidden treasure of medicine because you're right. Most people don't know about it. And so um, I've, I'm going to go more this route. If you're, if you're somebody who's interested in something neuromusculoskeletal, okay, so if that's your interest – I think it's really important to at least do a rotation or look into uh, PM&R more closely because it might be something that matches um, your interests. And I think a lot of times that you get attracted to uh, the orthopedic surgeries, like you said, the neurologies, or even a lot of times I'll have uh, primary care uh, residents rotate through my office and say they that want to do with an interest in sports medicine and they want to do a sports medicine fellowship, wish they had looked into PM&R and they didn't really know much about it. 
And so I think that's the most important thing. If you have an interest in uh, the peripheral nervous system, neuromusculoskeletal system, you should at least do a rotation in the, with physiatrists to better learn what they do because it might be something that really interests you. Yeah. When it comes to how, and, and this is going to be different at every every hospital uh, system, but when it comes to who sees who, right? Because there's a lot of overlap between physical medicine, rehabilitation, and ortho yeah. or neurosurgery, neurology, or the, the, the sports uh, primary care docs. How do you figure out who comes to you versus goes to see other specialists? That's, that's a really good question. I mean, for myself and my own practice, I've kind of um, carved out a niche that I'm the interventionalist. So uh, they'll send them to me for EMGs. So patients with um, peripheral paresthesias and dysesthesias that uh, can't be quite explained with um, imaging studies, they'll send them to me for EMGs. And I'll get those from the surgeons or from uh, neurology. Uh, other things are non-operative patients. So patients, before they go to surgery with ortho, that want to try uh, other um, interventional procedures such as epidurals, um, even regenerative medicine. So that's the biggest booming part probably of PM&R right now is the regenerative mm-hmm. medicine stuff. So um, looking at PRP or stem cells for uh, peripheral tendinopathies, for um, uh, mild to moderate uh, osteoarthritis in different joints. And so that's typically the, my patient population that I'll get. And that, it varies. It could be anywhere from, uh, you know, focal neuropathies all the way up to tendinopathies, uh, OA. And there, there'll be patients all the way from uh, younger athletes and they're, you know, 12, 13, 14, all the way up to, I just actually popped out of a room doing an EMG on an 85-year-old uh, individual. So that's what that's one thing I like is that the patient population can vary. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. What does a typical day look like for you? So I, I try and vary my uh, practice as much as possible, possible just to get variety. And I'm I don't like to focus in on one thing. So I'm not just a regenerative medicine guy. I'm not just the pain guy that's going to do epidurals and spinal cord stimulators. So I try and do a little bit of everything. So um, throughout my week, my clinics tend to be all different, and so. Um, I'll have regular PM&R clinic. We'll see general uh, PM&R patients, musculoskeletal patients. Um, and then I'll have procedure clinics. That'll be a half day of EMGs. And then after that, I'll have a half day of procedures. And my procedures can be anything from the regenerative medicine stuff with PRP and stem cells to epidurals and fluoroscopy injections. So I'll have fluoro guided and ultrasound guided procedures mixed in there. And then, um, then I'll have clinics uh, at our sports medicine office where I'll be there seeing more younger of an athletic patient population. And then on top of it all too, um, I do a concussion clinic. And so, uh, another half day a week, I'll go to one of our other ancillary clinics and do a sports concussion clinic where my, where I focus more on, uh, younger athletes with mild traumatic brain injuries. Nice. Very cool. My, yeah. my wife is a, a sports concussion neurologist. So I'm way too familiar with all of the intricacies of, of brain damage, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's interesting. So it, it sounds like, uh, the niche that you've carved out for yourself, it's very procedure heavy or can be very procedure heavy for the student who is interested in going into a field and, and maybe doing similar things to you, but is unsure of their hand-eye coordination and ability to do procedures. Is that something that they'll learn as they go through versus needing to be perfect with their hands now? Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. And that's, 
that uh, comes with time and it comes with practice. And so I'm actually the fellowship director here at Michigan State University. And that's something I tell um, my fellows all the time. And, you know, early on in their fellowship, um, just due to time, oftentimes those, you know, I get impatient. I take over the procedure and I'll finish it if they're struggling a little bit. And so it's just fun to watch them progress over the, over the year that they spend with me. And you can see that hand-eye coordination, their ability to get comfortable with not just the procedure itself, with the, with the manipulation of the needle, but using the image guidance uh, to help them. And so you, whether it be fluoroscopy or ultrasound, and that just takes time and it takes practice. It's just like anything. I think that was about Malcolm Gladwell wrote about the 10,000 yep. hour theory. Yep. So it's the same thing, same thing in medicine, whether it's surgery, whether it's uh, even just the knowledge based with in the clinic setting with seeing patients. Um, and so that, that, that will come and that just takes time. So I wouldn't let that deter anybody uh, from, uh, seeking, a, a specialty in physical mess rehab. What does call look like for you? That's, that's what makes PMNR so beautiful. I think in my mind, I'm a little biased, <laughs> obviously, but I think that's what makes PMNR so beautiful. So, uh, with PMNR, your patients are all stable, right? So whether it's on the inpatient setting or, um, in your outpatient clinics. And so we have an inpatient setting at the hospital. And so we split the call cause you have to run on the weekends on, uh, the patient on the inpatient rehab floor. And so we split it amongst our whole group. So maybe over a whole year, I'll take one or two weekends. And again, they're, they're low acuity. And most of the patients are stable. You're just coming in making sure that their rehabs are going well over the weekend and answering, answering any questions that they or their family members may have that are up visiting for the weekend. But then when it comes to the pain side of things and the sports medicine side, like you're really, if you do all patient based uh, practice, you're really in control of your schedule. And so the evenings and the weekends that I work is because I choose to work and that's due to covering events. So, um, I'll choose to cover an, a sporting event here at MSU and that's by my own call and my own choosing. So, um, if it wasn't for the sports medicine side of things, the call would be very easy and, uh, light. And so you're pretty much in control of your own hours and I never have to spend the night in the hospital. And so I get to sleep in my bed every night, which is, which is a beautiful thing. Now, a lot of people listening to this will hear you just say covering sports events. And they're like, wait a minute, like you're a doctor. What are you covering sports events for? What, what does that <laughs> look like? What, what are you doing at sporting events? So I'm the head team physician for uh, men's and women's soccer here at MSU. And so what I'll do is I'll provide sideline coverage. And so I'll be there usually with my fellow and, um, we're available for any uh, medical needs that are uh, that present themselves during the game, but we'll also be there with an athletic trainer. So, essentially, how we work is we're there. We just try to uh, stand on the sideline next to the athletes, but we try and stay out of the way. And so, with any injuries that occur acutely, the athletic trainer will go out and see the athlete or see the athlete on the sideline. And so, we just kind of wait in the background. If the athletic trainer needs anything they will call us and we'll come over and assess the patient and help make the decision whether the athlete can return to play or not. Now, obviously if there's, um, I don't cover football, but for example, with a football game, if there's a severe injury and, and, and something needs to happen right away, you don't wait, you run out there with the trainer together, but mm -hmm. we're there to help cover anything like that that would pop up that necessitates care. One of the things that, for instance, you know, right now with the Euro 2020, even though it's 2021, it's the Euro 2020 cup with the player from Denmark. Um, yeah. That made national headlines where uh, he had a look like a sudden cardiac event uh, there during the game. And so you could see the athletic trainers rushed out immediately, but it was, you could tell that it was an urgent issue. So uh, the team physician was there to help 
perform CPR. And I think they used the AED there uh, right mm-hmm. on the field as well. And so that's where team physician would come in for any um, acute injuries like that. Yeah. Or issues. That wasn't even an injury, but acute medical issue. Yeah. Now, so- soccer is known for uh, not having the <laughs> the, the best uh, injuries uh, that lots, lots of, uh, lots of flopping in soccer, but I'm, I'm sure you, yeah. you're able to parse out what's real. What's not, uh, does your history as a college soccer player help you as a soccer physician? That's a great question. I think so. And the reason why I say that is because, um, every single year we'll have a fellow co-cover events with one of our attendings. And so it's interesting to sit there, especially early on in the season with the fellows, and most of them don't have any soccer background and some of them may not even necessarily know the rules. And so as you see athletes flopping around on the ground, <laughs> they get nervous and they get worried initially. Like, ah, you know, they, they get scared for a second. Do we need to go out there and do anything? And I'm like, don't worry. They'll be up in about a minute. Just give it time. <laughs> and so not just with that, not just with understanding, you know, some of the theatrics necessarily that come into play, but understanding some of the common injuries that may occur um, and how those injuries may affect your performance, I think is important. So that's one thing that I like is that I can talk to these, to my athletes and my players about it. And with they know that my background in playing college soccer too, I can, we can help come up with a solution together. And they, they know that I know the tactics of the game and certain areas that might affect them as opposed to somebody else who may not have that knowledge and that background. Yeah. I, I see very similar, um, parallels with that with your background especially and being being out on the field as to what I was doing in the military as a as a flight surgeon because when patients would come to me they were pilots or loadmasters or navigators on on these big heavy airplanes and yep. I would have to understand what they're going through. And so not every flight surgeon needs to have a private pilot's license, but I did. And you do get flight training through your your aerospace medicine training so that you can understand, be like, okay, you're coming in with a knee sprain. I know that if an engine gives out, you're going to have to put full rudder with that left knee. And I don't think you're going to be able to do it. So I'm going to ground you for a couple of weeks until you can come back to me and show that your knee's better. So it sounds like exactly. having that that intimate knowledge of of what they're going through, what they need to be able to do, is is vital there. It's it's awesome. Exactly, and and you can see it in the reverse situation too, right? So um, I help cross cover, and I'm uh, probably the only PM&R doc that's on the sports medicine staff here, and so I'll get. Uh, other athletes that come to me for certain things, especially like back pain. And so for epidurals, facet injections, et cetera, I'll see athletes from all different sports and they'll come to me for interventions. And so for instance, if it's like a gymnast, right, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily know gymnastics as much. And so some of the maneuvers that they're doing, they'll ask me, can I do this? Can I do that? And it's, it's difficult because I don't understand the sport as well. And that's where you need the trainer and, you know, some help with the, it's almost like another language that they speak to, right. With some of the different issues or different moves that they're performing. And so it just makes it easier if you have the knowledge and the background of that, that sport to be able to take care of those athletes and, and get to them, right. And get them to be more compliant with their programs and more pro, pro, uh, compliant with their uh, return to play. Yeah. As a program director there, what are you looking for in applicants for, for fellowship? So I think the biggest thing is um, work ethic. You know, uh, most of, in, in interest of full disclosure, most of our uh, fellows that we have accepted have been members of our own residency program. So during their residency, some of the things I'm looking for is that they're volunteering to help cover events and do things outside of the 
general residency requirements. And so if there's uh, a special Olympics event, if there's a high school football game that needs to be covered, if I ask for help, if I'm looking for volunteers to, to cover that, that they're willing to go out there and spend their Friday night or a Saturday morning helping cover uh, those events and be an active member of their community because that's essentially what it boils down to is, is helping out with your community. And so I think that's the biggest thing. Um, I know a lot of residents, you know, or make a push towards research and research is, is good and it's important. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is looking at work, work ethic and uh, people who want to be there, who want to learn and want to work hard. How does someone show that on a away rotation, right? When they're, if they're not around you all the time because they're from your home residency, how, how can they potentially show that during a, an elective rotation? So when you do an elective rotation and come out here, I mean, COVID notwithstanding, yeah. there's usually something that's going on around here that needs to be covered. And so uh, I think it's important to ask, you know, is there anything that we can do or is there any evening events that I can go to that can help cover or just get exposure to uh, as well? You don't have to necessarily be there covering by yourself, but if there's going to be a fellow there, if there's going to be another resident there, can I go there and help out? Um, and I think that's the most important thing is that looking to do more outside of just the minimal requirements requirements of the daily uh, rotation is important. Yeah. What does the the fellowship look like? What are what are fellows doing day in and day out? So our fellowship is a little unique here at Michigan State. We have a two year fellowship. So um, the first year is an interventional spine, we call it an EMG rotation or EMG year. And so what they'll do is they'll spend time uh, up in the PMNR office uh, learning how to do different floral guided and uh, ultrasound guided procedures, and then also getting some further training in EMG. One of our faculty members here is Dr. Mike Andary. Um, he's a past president of AANEM, which is one of the electrodiagnostic societies. Um, and he's probably one of the best electromyographers in the world. And so you get to spend some time with him and get really good at, and refine your EMG skills. And then you spend some time with us interventionalists uh, refining your ultrasound guided uh, skills and your fluoroscopic guided skills. And so then after that first year, and then you also help cross cover some weekend calls and you serve as a part-time attending where uh, you help uh, staff some things with the residents, et cetera. And then after that year, you'll do the second year, which is ACAGME accredited for sports medicine. And they'll work more down in the sports medicine office where I work. And then there we have the primary care uh, sports medicine attendings and the orthopedic surgeons. And then that's where you'll get the experience and exposure to the division one college athletics. And so that's when you'll cover games, football games, division one football games, division one basketball games, any of the big 10 tournaments that may be on campus at that time. And that's where you'll learn how to do more of the sideline management and refine your musculoskeletal skills. That's pretty awesome. For someone who who loves sports, it's a, a great specialty to go into to be around yeah. uh, be around athletics. That's that's pretty awesome. So yeah. in terms of uh you as an osteopathic physician, how much of the the manipulation can come into play as a PMNR doc? That's really important. And and with my osteopathic background, I think that's important in our athletic population. Uh, so oftentimes in the training room, I'll do manipulation for back pain, uh, hip pain, um, whatever it is. And, and so more so within my clinics per se, uh, cause we have a whole osteopathic manual manipulative department, um, that's in the university. And so a lot of the, those patients get referred, uh, to them specifically. Uh, but when it comes to the, you know, athletes that we see on campus, 
that's really important. I think that's a big part of my practice when I see those athletes and working on leg length discrepancies that may help offset some of their back pain or their hip pain. Uh, or even we had at one point a study that we were doing looking at stress fractures in some of our cross-country athletes and working on manipulation to see if that would help decrease the incidence of stress fractures among some of our runners. And then we're looking at leg length issues. If we uh, help correct some of their leg length issues, would that uh, cause a decrease in stress fractures? So here at Michigan State University, the osteopathic side of things plays a huge role in our sports medicine treatment. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. What do you wish primary care docs knew about what you're doing day in and day out to, to help their patients and help you do your job? I think the biggest thing is that PM&R necessarily isn't just EMGs and pain. And so for some of the common uh, tendinopathies that aren't getting better over time that become more chronic, that we can help them too. And it doesn't have to just be back pain and neck pain and chronic pain and medication management. And I think that's the most important thing uh, or the biggest thing that I see here is that PMNR can offer so much more than just, you know, treatments for chronic pain. Um, and I think we can help make a difference in some of the, even the weekend warrior population or uh, some of your folks, ex-military who, you know, have chronic injuries dating back to their times uh, of service. And I think that's the biggest thing that we try to stress to a lot of our referral sources. Yeah. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into PM&R? Ooh, that's a tough question. Huh. I don't know. I think I think I kind of got lucky in the sense that as I went through it, the specialty was changing a little bit. And I started to research that at that time. And so it kind of just as I was going through it, I was realizing what you could do with PM&R. And I was learning it, learning it as I was going through it, and I kind of developed this niche that was different than anybody else uh, that was doing PM&R here. And so most of the guys here were either the pain side, uh, just strictly pain, or just strictly inpatient. And so um, as I was going through it, I remember that's when the regenerative medicine stuff started to make a big push, and it was led by a lot of the physical medicine rehab docs nationally. And I remember one of the first things that I, that came to mind where I was reading about it was in 2008 when Kobe Bryant went and got PRP on his knees. And I was like, what's PRP? And I started reading about it. And I was like, oh, these are PM&R docs that are doing this. And then the next biggest thing was uh, concussions. And so then you started to see rehab from concussions. It wasn't just neurology, but it was also physical medicine rehab. And so that right at that time point between when I was in med school in 2008 to 2010, you started to see the specialty change a little bit. And I've caught it at the right time and the perfect time in my mind. And I feel like I, if I would have been a little bit earlier, I might have missed that. If I would have been a, late, a little bit later, um, I might have been a little bit late to the game. But it was perfect timing for me as, as things started to evolve. Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. What do you like the most about your specialty? <laughs> um, I do this. My favorite procedure probably to perform is this uh, newer procedure that was developed at the Mayo Clinic called 10X. It's an ultrasound-guided uh, percutaneous tenotomy. And so um, one of the specific uh, pathologies that I treat is um, calcific tendinopathy, uh, specifically to the rotator cuff. And so the reason why I like it so much is that you have patients come in with shoulder pain that's interfering with their function and their ability to do different things. And you'll get an x-ray, you'll see this big calcific piece just sitting right in uh, one of the rotator cuff muscles most commonly, supraspinatus. And so we'll take them and we'll do this uh, tenotomy procedure with the 10X machine. 
and then rehab them. And then I'll get a post-procedure x-ray usually about three months later and it's gone. And so it's really gratifying to see because most of the time these patients always get better. Uh, they're usually like 90 to 100% better. You can see the calcific piece is gone. And then you can just hear their uh, excitement at the their function levels has increased over time. And so that's probably my most gratifying thing that I, that I do right now. Nice. What do you like the least? <laughs> probably my, probably the same thing that I've mentioned before, the chronic pain uh, management of things. So, you know, when you get the patients that you can't get better, it frustrates you. You know, I have a competitive side to me. So if I can't help them and then I got to, you know, treat them with narcotics or something that I hate doing, uh, that that's probably the thing that's my biggest pet peeve. Yeah. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a PM&R doc? For sure. Hands down. I love my job. And that's the thing I try and uh, tell the students that rotate with me when I go give my lectures. That's the, that's the thing I try to stress the most is that I love my job. I have a great job. I get to work with Division One athletes. Um, I get to do practice mostly the way I want to and, and take care of young, healthy, active people. Um, and so every day coming to work to me is a joy. I don't hate anything about my job. And if I could do it all over again, I would do the same thing. Nice. I, I think you would enjoy your job more if they were Gator athletes from the University of Florida, but <laughs> you had to settle for Michigan State. That's okay. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. We did beat you in the 2000. <laughs> uh, one you. time, whatever. <laughs> um, do you see any major changes coming to the field that someone going up through training now or, or, or just starting should be aware of? Um, I think the biggest thing is that you know, and this is probably with every, every field, um, the, probably the biggest battle that I deal with on a daily basis is insurance authorizations. Uh, those are becoming more and more difficult. Um, I'm spending more and more time on the phone doing peer to peers, uh, with different physicians trying to get approval to do different procedures. And so that's probably the biggest thing as far as like practice changes or how the field might be changing. I think probably the regenerative medicine uh, area of practice is going to be the biggest area that changes within the next 10 to 15 years. I think you're going to start to see um, more and more studies that back, well, hopefully, that back PRP and possibly stem cells. Right now, there's kind of a paucity of research for uh, the stem cells, but I think that's probably where our specialty is going to start going towards, but we'll see. Any final words of wisdom for the student listening to this, thinking about PM&R for their future? I think I'm just going to reiterate what I said earlier. If you have an interest in anything that's neuromusculoskeletal, I think it's important and vital that you at least do a PMR rotation with somebody um, to get some exposure to that field. And don't be um, disappointed if it's just an inpatient rehab rotation or it's someone who's more neuromuscular, you know, neuromusculoskeletal based that may not be what you want to do, but look into it and see if it's something that you can. Uh, that might be something that you can morph into a practice that you would find joy in. So that, that would be my biggest take-home message. All right, there you have it. A great conversation again with Dr. Matthew Safarian, a program director as well for physical medicine and rehabilitation. I hope this was helpful for you to learn some more about the field of physiatry. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.